Well, dare I to mention the M word. This word that has risen from relative obscurity to dominate the media and therefore our minds. Okay, I do dare to say the word mandate. On Friday, Fifth Circuit Court Judge Carl Engelhart, he issued a stay against Biden's vaccination mandate, and he wrote this. The mere specter of the mandate has contributed to untold economic upheaval in recent months. Now listen, the only reason I quote that is for the vivid imagery of the phrase specter of the mandate, and he capitalized mandate to personify it. Specter, ominous, ghost-like, looming, dangerous. Listen, that's how you and I feel most often about mandates, about being told what to do and required to do that thing. Now, some of you may be perfectly happy with the present mandate, but only because you already decided to do what was mandated and think everyone else should do it too. But change the mandate. Put it in the mouth of a different man or say a different president. And well, you know the rest of that story, don't you? Mandates usually make us bristle. From the first uttered words, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do, all the way to this present day. Most of us have a long and storied past not liking mandates. Well, clearly, Scripture's full of them. Commands. Ten of them, as you know, are quite famous. Jesus gives a mandate. We looked at it for 14 weeks. As you go into the world, make disciples. But here's the difference one of the many differences between the mandates of God and the mandates of man. God not only imposes on us from the outside, He empowers us from the inside. God doesn't just impose upon us from the outside, He empowers us from the inside with the passion to do the things that He has mandated for us to do. And that's where the means of grace come in. Through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God gives these means of grace to us to give us the will and the want, the passion and the privilege to obey. So instead of bristling against the mandates of God, we embrace them with passion and zeal. We seek to live them out in a radical and a risky way. And that's actually what you and I are called to as believers in Christ, to live radically, to live riskily for the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about as we return again this morning to Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you to take out your Bibles and turn to that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. But when you found Acts chapter 2, let's stand so that together we might hear the word of the living God. Acts 
Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and have, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. Bless us with the presence and the power of your spirit to transform our lives according to your word. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was growing up, pressure cookers were not as safe as they are now. People used them very often, mostly during garden season, and they used them to can vegetables. And more than once in my life, I witnessed the aftermath of an exploding pressure cooker. When the pressure got too great with no release, green beans stuck to falling from the ceiling on your head. And beets, well... <laughs> That's a mess beyond describing. I don't want us to be like exploding pressure cookers this morning. God has not designed us only to receive the means of grace. And after so many weeks together now of looking individually at the means of grace, the, the many facets of them, the, the layers, the depth, the benefits the blessings that we find in the Word of God, in prayer, and in the Lord's Supper as we experience them together in community, the pressure from all these blessings and all these benefits have built up in us. And now they must be released. Released through radical and risky living that they inspire, that they empower since the means of grace take us to Jesus, when we see him, we will see one who lived radically in the best sense of the word. He loved radically. You know he did. He gave radically. Jesus took great risk with great boldness to save sinners and to establish his kingdom in the midst of this sin riddled world. And so it should come as no surprise to us. Neither should it seem to us an anomaly or an oddity, but instead it should be the expectation that those who devote themselves to the means of grace, those who persevere in them, 
who allow no obstacle in life, whether internal or external, to keep them from the Word of God, from prayer, and from the Lord's Supper, to those people who come to Jesus, to those people who see Jesus through the means of grace, they live radical, risky lives. And that's what these verses put before us this morning. Look again in verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. These verses, without question, rank among the top verses that describe the most radical and the most risky behavior in all of Scripture. The radical and risky generosity of them. Look, all things they had in common. They gave to all who had need so that none had need. Look, if you give your stuff away, what's going to happen to you? What will you have for yourself? Right now, the deacons, the elders, and those who are working together on this capital campaign of which we are in the midst, they're getting so excited. You know what they're saying to themselves? Yes, Craig is going to preach on giving. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I am not. Because generosity isn't really the main focus here. If we only look at the generosity, giving could easily devolve into a mandate. Something we have to do, something we are required to do so that we can be like those people were. And then what is supposed to be joyful, glad and cheerful heart giving can become guilty giving. Accompanied by the angst of answering that annoying annual question, do I have to give based on gross or can I give just on net? You have no idea how many times I've been asked that in my ministry. However, if we get the reason right, the generosity will follow along on its own. And generosity, not just with our things, not just with our money, will be generous with our time, our talents, even that emotional capital that we tend to reserve just for ourselves. Luke in these verses, describes people who had something in their hands when they came to Christ. They had money, they had possessions, they had land. That's what they had. But then, Christ. Then came this release. They let go of what they had. Why had they held on to those things before? Well, these verses don't really explain that to us, but look, they're human. Like we're human, and it's not difficult to figure out the answer to that question. Their things gave them a sense of security in this world. As long as they had money and possessions and land, they felt that all would be well. But when they came to Christ, they made this exchange, security exchange, the means of grace took them to Jesus. 
And when they got to him, they realized all was well. They were secure in Christ. And so they could give radically and they could expose themselves to what might have felt like great risk in trusting Christ for their tomorrow needs. And so let me state it clearly. The reason for their radical and risky generosity was that they knew themselves to be secure in Christ. As they gathered around the means of grace, they remembered the source of their security. You and I, we have to come around the means of grace together, week by week, so that we remember where our security lies. Look, we enter into this place, and we return from this place into a world that chips away at our security. A world that now, more than ever, is dominated by fear. And that fear leads to insecurity. Political speeches feed fear. Advertising feeds fear. It suggests to us what we should buy or what we should take to make ourselves secure. Our world makes us risk-averse, afraid to be generous. It suggests that we stock up instead of give away. It suggests to us that we should only be generous with what's left over after we have provided for our own security. But here's the good news about the means of grace. They remind us that our real place of safety, our real place of security is in Christ. Thomas Watson is another Puritan. I love the Puritans. Have you picked up on that? Thomas Watson writes this. When God calls a man, he does not repent of it. Isn't that great? God doesn't repent that he ever called you. This is the blessedness of a saint. His condition admits of no alteration. God's call is founded upon his decree, and his decree is immutable. Acts of grace cannot be reversed. God blots out his people's sins, but not their names. Is that good news? Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Is this not the very thing that the means of grace do? They set the Lord Jesus before us. And when we see the Lord, we realize where our security lies, who our sure foundation is, and therefore we are not shaken. Our security is not in what the apostle Peter describes as perishable things like gold and silver. Our security is in Christ. And if he is our security, then that thing is not. Or that thing, then that thing, or whatever it is in which we find our security. Proverbs 3.25 You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Psalm 42 He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. 
Question one. The Heidelberg Catechism. What a question. Here it is. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer. And you know it. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. No mandate mindset here, is it? Willing and ready. Heartily willing and ready. When Christ is our security, we can be radically generous with all things. When Christ is our security, we can take risks. Now, look in your bulletin. Top of the first page. There's a quote there from yet another Puritan, whom I've often referred to as my best friend, Samuel Rutherford. Look at what he writes. Since he, Jesus, looked upon me, my heart is not my own. He hath run away to heaven with it. Is that not beautiful? Where will the Lord take your heart? Are you willing to take the risk? Pity us. Pity all of us if we sit here seeking self-made security, saying, Lord, bring it back. <laughs> bring, it, bring it back. Bring, bring my heart back. Because we fear the uncomfortable place or the unsafe place that the Lord may take our hearts. Take the risk. Follow where the Lord who has your heart leads. The Apostle Paul commended a man named Epaphroditus to the church in Philippi. He hoped that the church would receive this man with great joy. And this is what he says about Epaphroditus. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, the word risk comes from this Greek word. I don't tell you this to bore you. Keep it in mind. It's going to be important in a minute. The Greek word for risk is parabolo. Parabolo. Now remember that. Because in the early days of the church, just after the New Testament era, there was an association of Christian men and women who got together and they took the name the Paraboloni, parabola, paraboloni, which means the gamblers. And they were a risk taking group. And it was the aim of this group, and it was the mission of, that they visit the prisoners, that they visit the sick, especially those with infectious, dangerous, communicable diseases. It was their mission to unhesitatingly, unflinchingly, and boldly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ in every environment without 
hesitation. And guess who they took as their hero, as their mascot? Epaphroditus, the man who risked his life because of love for Christ and love for the gospel. In 252 AD, the city of Carthage had a terrible plague. And the people in the city were so frightened of the germs that were in the bodies of the dead that they wouldn't touch the dead to bury them and they would not help the sick in order to heal them. So Cyprian, the Christian bishop, gathered the congregation of the believing church together and the church members, the church members, buried the dead. The church members risked their lives to help nurse the sick and to save some in the city and God used them to reach people for Christ because of their love. Radical risk takers giving generously and fearlessly of their lives because they were secure in Christ. We can live radically. We can give generously. We can take risks with our lives when we know where and in whom our security lies. Look, we can let go. We can release the grip on what makes us feel secure or who makes us feel secure when we know that our lives are in God's hand. Self-constructed security is no longer a priority for the believer in Christ. It's replaced instead by a passion for the things of God. It entrusts itself to God and moves out even in the face of risk. But listen, I say these things only to those among us here this morning. And to only these, only those of us who by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit are devoted to the means of grace, to prayer, to the word of God, and to the Lord's Supper. I have no fear that you'll take these words and be impulsive with them or that you'll be overly emotional about what I'm saying. You know why? Because through the means of grace, you are seeing Jesus. Through the means of grace, you're listening to Jesus. And not off by yourself, somewhere isolated from everyone else. No, you're doing it together in the fellowship of other believers. So guess what? I trust the Lord to be the one to call you and me to our radical or our risky living. 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, urges us on, provides the impulse. Because we have concluded this, That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whom their sake died and was raised. That's radical, risky living. Paul didn't mind if people thought he was crazy. If he was out of his mind. And, And they certainly 
did. And if you look at the life that he lived, it's understandable. The way he lived. The lack he experienced. The suffering he experienced. The mockery he experienced. But oh, what did Paul see? The Lord. The visions. The revelations he saw. Described it as being caught up into the third heaven, paradise, hearing things that were beyond the ability to utter, all because of the Lord. See, this is not about mandates. It's about living radically and generously and taking great risk because through prayer, through the Word of God, through the Lord's Supper, you've been with Jesus, seen Jesus, and you're passionate about Him. Compelled, compelled by His love to release into the world, release into the world the blessings and the benefits that have built up in you through the means of grace. It isn't that you have to. It's that you can't be stopped from doing it. And I'll say again, this is not the abnormal Christian life. It's the normal Christian life. For those who are devoted to the means of grace. For those who know their security lies in Christ. They've exchanged self-security for Christ's security. And I pray that the they is you and me. Look at Christ. Listen to his dying words, spoken with his last remaining bit of energy. When Jesus could have said anything, he chose to say this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I think Jesus was saying that not only for himself, but also for you and me. He was showing us the way, showing us that it's okay. Release your life. Let it go. Let go of trying to make yourself secure and put your life, entrust your life into the hands of your loving Heavenly Father. Then you can give generously, live radically and riskily for the Lord. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, having encountered you now through prayer and through your word, And as we prepare now to come around your table and meet with you in that place and in that way, we simply ask that seeing you, that we would be secure in you and that we would unhesitatingly commit our lives into your hands. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.